0: Rob Woodward joined by Darren Schmidt. We're divorce lawyers helping you navigate the six divorced and done steps to move through your divorce quickly and efficiently without bankrupting yourself emotionally or financially. Everything we talk about in this podcast is for your information, but it is not legal advice or legal opinion of any kind. Darren
1: Schmidt, how you doing? I'm good. We got some uh, good news yesterday from our friends at Vernon Community Radio. Holy smokes, what's going on there? Well, you know the news. I'm just going to let everyone else know the news. We're uh, hitting the airwaves. That station's going live shortly. We don't know the exact launch date, um, but we'll be airing a couple times a week on Tuesdays at 1 and Thursdays at 8, so you can check us out at Vernon Community Radio Society. I think they're calling it Valley FM. Anyone that's listened to this for some time knows that we did a... um, We pitched in for their fundraiser in the fall, and what we did was we we were an auction item. You could bid to spend an hour or so with us by Zoom to work through your divorce or family law issues with us through the lens of our Divorced and Done Steps. We had the privilege of meeting with the uh, lucky winning bidder, and that was a really fun experience. So we're happy to finally see that this project here locally where I am in Vernon is finally coming to fruition, and that radio station is going live. So if you don't you know, already check us out at your convenience by streaming us on your favorite platform. You can also listen to us on a radio station and you can stream that station on the web. So that's pretty cool. So the core of this is
0: even though we love our podcast and we love all of our podcast listeners, of course, for the last year, because we have lots of folks in Canada and the US, we are now actually on terrestrial radio and we are talk radio hosts. Congratulations, Darren Schmidt.
1: Well, it's something that um, we just chip away, chip away, chip away. Great things happen. Our audience grows and we've gotten a lot of great feedback. And I think maybe to start today, um, we did get a really great listener feedback email that uh, I just maybe wanted to quickly share with everyone because it was really touching for us. And we've gotten a ton of these sort of uh, emails where people say, thank you. Um, very grateful uh, for what we do. And so uh, this listener reached out to us recently, uh, said, good morning, guys. I wanted to let you know the following to maybe give your day a boost. After having followed, followed your socials and podcasts for as long as they've existed, I've finally taken what was a scary step for me and at almost 40 enrolled in mediator training. I've worked in the court system and law firm's on and off throughout my career and have always regretted not going to law school myself. You sometimes hear stories of people making their dream a reality and being called to the bar in their 50s, but due to my circumstances, this isn't really for me. I am nevertheless very excited about having my training and opportunities it will bring. It is truly the next best thing. Your collaborative approach to family disputes and level-headed responses to questions on the podcast is a huge motivating factor for me, and both of you inspire me greatly. Thanks for all you do. Pretty kind words. Hey, Rob.
0: Uh, That's fantastic. And if listening to you and I having our conversation over the last year has encouraged someone to do something different or find something they're passionate about and brings them more joy and fulfillment in their day-to-day life, we can't ask for anything more than that.
1: If you want to send us nice, kind words or you want to send us the opposite, you know, you want to send us some hate mail, you're welcome to do that too. Fortunately, we haven't got any of that, but you can reach out to us a couple ways. First, as always, we take your voicemail messages, speakpipe.com slash divorced and done. You can leave us a 90 second voicemail message. It's totally anonymous. You don't have to put your name in the voicemail message. If you want to, that's fine too. Or you can email us lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com. We always welcome your questions, comments, and feedback. That's what we're going to do today. So let's launch into some questions. Question one, it's a bit long, so bear with me. Uh, Listener says, it gets right into it. Uh, No pleasantries at the outset. Currently, mother has primary custody while father has been fighting for two years to have a shared 50-50 parenting schedule. Father had a step-up plan uh, five nights equating to 36% of total time, which was granted in an order in August 2021. After six months, that order was supposed to be reviewed to grant the father additional an additional night in January 2022, resulting in 43%, which would be uh, shared parenting under Section 9 of our Federal Child Support Guidelines. Just anyone listening, once you hit a 40% threshold in Canada under our Federal Child Support Guidelines, you're deemed to have a shared parenting arrangement. You don't need a strict equal 50-50 parenting arrangements. That's what the listener's hinting at here. So, Dad's had some uh, step-up parenting orders, and in January 2022, a few months ago, 43%. Father works up north in the oil field doing seven-on-seven-off, and his employment has changed uh, due to no fault of his own, and his new employment schedule changed to a 14-on-14-off schedule in January 2022, uh, about the same time that this 43% schedule was supposed to uh, kick in. Father is always available to spend hundred percent of his time with his daughter on his days off. Doesn't need any child care when uh, he's off work, and she has her own accommodations at his house and all that stuff. Bedroom toys, um, and spends hours with his daughter when he's with her. Uh, daughter shares a room and a bed with her mother when she's with her, and does not have, in the listener's view, sort of adequate space at mom's house. Um, the mom now, the opposing party, refuses 50-50 at the uh, re-evaluation and another date is set in April of 2022. So this question was sent to us a little while ago, but we'll we'll get to it now. Um, the mother works multiple uh, multi-level marketing jobs and previously had an income of, of about 40000 a year. Uh, she claimed her expected gross income for 2022 is to be fifty to 65000 um and recently she's noted that that's been reduced significantly so some changes from the mother's expected income uh she also put the daughter into childcare when she claimed she started full-time employment uh under section 7 the father was to pay 91% of those expenses the mother's now working multiple jobs her income's shifting around a little bit um so it's unclear what the what the mother's actual income is i think that's the crux of the listener's concern here Um, and this listener basically says, um, when the father goes to court and hopefully is granted shared parenting, uh, section seven and child support will need to be recalculated. How do we prove that we don't believe our income is correct? And there's been an overpayment of section seven due to this. So, um, couple things going on here. There's been some hope, at least through multiple court appearances through 2021 and in early 2022, that dad's parenting time would be uh, elevated and increased. The listener, it appears is sort of the significant other of the dad, and um, his job changed recently. His work shift uh, schedule changed from a seven and seven to a fourteen and fourteen. And the listener thinks that the other party mom, biological mom, doesn't have suitable living accommodations and is not reporting her income accurately. So lots going on. Maybe a good way to boil down into this is through just working through our steps. But anyway, Rob, what do you think?
0: So step one, let's work through the steps. And because this is parenting and child support, we're exclusively step two and step three. Uh, because you're, we assume you're separate and apart, uh, given the nature of the question. Step two dealing with your parenting, the change from a 7 and 7 to a 14 and 14 may mean, because it suggests in January 2022, you're at 43% parenting time for dad, which per our courts is shared parenting. And likely, if you're doing seven on, seven off, every second week, I imagine the child was spending time with dad, now working 14 and 14, it will be convincing the court or mom um, agreeably to say, instead of alternating weeks of parenting time, now we're going to do two weeks and two weeks. Hopefully, you can get there, given the history, stepping up from 36% in August to 43% in January of this year, you're at shared parenting. So that shouldn't be too contentious. As we know, moving to step three, child support is necessarily dictated by parenting time. You're in a shared parenting structure, even though it's not necessarily exactly 50-50. In my mind, 43%, that is shared parenting. You're very close to 50-50. Mom works multiple multi-level marketing jobs. And that's just an interesting note on a side note. Darren, did you see the Netflix documentary on LuLaRoe? No.
1: No, I'm not familiar you, with that. Do you
0: know what I'm talking about when I say LuLaRoe? No. Okay. Maybe I'm
1: uh, the only one that doesn't know about this. But that's okay. And
0: this may be what this is getting at. In <clears throat> the last couple of years, there were a few, particularly through the pandemic, big multi-level marketing companies which I'm sure many of our listeners are aware, basically you sign up kind of, I don't want to say like being an Avon lady historically, because I think that's maybe a little different. But these companies, the way they work, you're selling products. So for example, LuLaRoe historically sold dresses and tights, cheap dresses and tights. And you'd, as a seller, buy a whole bunch of these, then sell them to other people. And I think, I don't want to call it a straight, say it's a pyramid scheme, but I think the notion is if you're one of the sellers and you get in early in your community and no one else has these or has seen these, you can potentially do well for yourself selling a lot of these, whatever things you're selling, candles, leggings, pick a thing, Mm -hmm. not just pick on LuLaRoe, because this was the subject of this Netflix documentary about this. But a couple of years ago, there were lots of people, I think, getting into this. And right off the top, you could theoretically earn a very good income if you had a big base of sales. But as more people in your community start doing it, there's fewer people to sell to. Necessarily, your income will decrease. So I don't want, I don't want to get into the larger discussion of multi-level marketing. Is it a scam? What is this? We're not talking about that. But the notion of saying one year you make tons of money with some new thing for sure. Subsequent years, your income may drop. That may have happened. And in this situation, the listener had an opportunity to, I hope, uh, review mom's tax returns, get complete disclosure for the last three years as a standard uh, in any parenting matter, especially when we're assessing support, and can see that change in income. As they say here, she may says she's only making seven grand a year. The listener's exactly right. Being able to say, look, minimum wages here, you could be getting, earning a job, earning at least whatever number is appropriate, uh, commensurate with your current parenting schedule, In those two weeks that mom's not taking care of her daughter could be working full-time, and a court will consider that, and that may be an application you may need to make here to say what was her income historically, what could she be doing, and perhaps, depending on mom's individual circumstances, unless she's sick, disabled, something else has happened that she can't work, what is the reason for her drop in income, and as the listener says, why can't she be working a minimum wage job earning a certain minimum, that's a totally reasonable question to raise with the court, particularly when you're doing those child support and Section 7 recalculations. What are your thoughts, Darren?
1: I mean, my first question is, what's going on with the parenting arrangement, which falls under step two of our steps? So step one, living separate and apart. Step two is, like, are there actual concerns about the parenting time? And if so, If we really boil down into step two, I mean, which is an analysis of what's in the best interest of this child, dad works 14 on 14 off. So you might have concerns about mom's accommodation, the opposing party's accommodation. That was sort of raised like she doesn't have, the child doesn't have suitable living arrangements. What is dad prepared to do about it? Is he prepared to step in and be the primary parent, which would require him to step away from his employment? And be there for his child 100% of the time. If he's not prepared to do that, then there's not much you need to worry about there because the answer is well, either the living arrangements are so unsuitable that the state should be involved and Child Protective Services should be called to do an investigation of those living arrangements, or it's frankly a, a petty complaint made against the other party in this instance because. Frankly, if dad's not satisfied, then he needs to roll up his sleeves and be there for his child. And if not, then he's going to have to basically put up with the other party's living arrangements for the child. Uh, That's just the nature of the shift work. That's just what needs to happen here, quite frankly. As for child support. So yeah, coming back to mom's income. Presuming mom is um, a sole proprietor. She's not running the multi-level marketing business through a corporation. Then mom is going to complete on an annual basis a T2125 form, which is a statement of business and professional activities as a sole proprietor. And condensed on that is going to be a listing of what her gross income was, as well as an itemized list of all the expenses that she's deducting from her income to get her net income on an annual basis for the purpose of paying tax on that figure. That would be their line 150 income on their tax return. So one thing I always tell people when they're looking at an ex-spouse's T2125 form, excuse me, you're really just looking at what are those expenses that are claimed uh, as a starting point. So are the expenses claim valid? You know, if the business is generating gross revenue of $100,000 a year, but the person filling out that form claims net income for the purpose of paying tax on that income of like $15,000 a year. Where'd the other $85,000 go? So have a close look at those forms. That presumes you get those those financial disclosure pieces on an annual basis. But uh, like you say, Rob, I mean, under the child support guidelines, you can always ask a court to impute income to a higher level to that party that is self-employed because either they're deducting too many expenses or they're not reporting income that they're generating because it's cash jobs, in which case you bear the onus of proving that. Um, but really, it sounds like if you're globally uh, on this whole matter, if we're looking at a shared parenting arrangement and we're looking at a self-employed person on the other side doing multi-level marketing jobs, the range of income there that that person's probably making, as you've indicated in your question, fifty dollars to $65,000 a year, that's probably a fair estimate if you're you know sort of dedicated depending on what the type of business is. I think there's lots of people, this is just me speaking now, but there's probably lots of people doing multi-level marketing jobs that are making no money doing it. As you say, based on that documentary, Rob, maybe there's some people that are getting hosed on these multi-level marketing uh, jobs because they're paying exorbitant fees, uh, they're paying distributors, they're paying other people in the pyramid, and there really is no money there. Um, You have to kind of think overall, is the juice worth the squeeze going after this lady in this instance?
0: You're exactly right. Although at the same time, you and I have had this conversation. And there's a trend, at least what I've sort of seen in our provincial courts a little bit in Alberta in mediations. Even though, yes, there are legal standards for getting people imputed to higher incomes and actually assessing incomes. There's nothing worse than we're meeting with people that have no reason that they can't be working full time. Uh, that can't be productive members of society and we're horsing around on some self-employment income, whether someone earned $20,000 a year or $30,000 a year. I've been with some very good mediators that have said, we're not interested in having this fight about how nominal your income is. You're able-bodied. You can work. You have the time to work. Your parenting schedule isn't such that you're solely part-time, $50,000 a year just as a
1: starting point. And yeah, I, I mean, if you pre- run the math, totally. most provinces, $15 an hour-ish is minimum wage. If you do yes. that full-time, um, you know, you, you come out to about $30,000 a year. Yep. So that's sort of the, the lowest threshold you can think of in terms of income for someone unless they're disabled. Yes. And they're collecting disability benefits from the government, provincial and federal, um, or employment or WCB benefits or something, they might be below that threshold. But- Really, thirty thousand's kind of your floor well, in most cases. You
0: did a great TikTok in the last couple of weeks where you pulled up the child support guideline calculator and said, Oh yeah, how do you pay no child support? And it's true if you make less than a thousand dollars a month. As as you suggested, looking at plugging it into the calculator, you will not owe any child support. And here, maybe this is the one time we'll say this on the podcast. Here's the big secret: uh, earn less than a thousand bucks a month <laughs> gross, and you too don't have to pay child support. But as you concluded that po- or that TikTok, aim fire, aim higher, folks. Let's be better than that.
1: Yeah. Well, the interesting thing, if you play around with the calculator, I just showed it on that TikTok as a contrast. If you make twelve thousand and one dollars per year, you know, you I did PEI as an example because the calculator yes. adjusts for inflation and cost of living by province. Twelve thousand and one dollars earned per year if you're paying child support for one child works so out to eight cents a month in child support. So um anyway, you you can aim higher, and we don't often see cases where we're horsing around with do I make twelve thousand dollars a year, or do I make thirteen thousand dollars a year? uh really, most people are able to meet that thirty thousand dollars or more amount and as you say, courts, mediators, and others don't have a lot of patience for people that are just finding excuses as to why they can't work, can't be productive, can't contribute particularly if there's children involved because child supports the right of the child um And that's really the concern of most adjudicators when dealing with issues of child support. So uh, let's go to another question. This one's a little shorter. Listener says, listening to your podcast. Well, that's a good thing. And generally interested in what happens with stock option grants that are granted but vest over a three-year time period, one-third, one-third, one-third over those three years. Is this something that a spouse is entitled to, even though they haven't vested? What happens if employment is terminated prior to vesting? Thanks. So um, I think what this listener is asking is, there's stock options granted through a company. Um, They've been granted so that the employee spouse presumptively is entitled to them, but they would vest over a three-year time period. I'm not super familiar with stock options. I don't see a lot in my practice, to be brutally honest. But my general understanding is that you have to exercise that option. So the the company will say, you can buy our stock for a certain amount of money during this vesting period. And it might be a a two-week block, two-month block. But basically, this window is open for you to buy our stocks at a reduced price. Um, And that's basically it. You can either exercise the option or not. And I think the, um, I think this, this listener is saying one of the spouses here is entitled to those options. They could exercise them a one third, one third, one third over the course of a three year period, one third per year. Um, is this family property or marital property? And, uh, what do we do with it if it is family property or marital property? So Rob, uh, wh- what do you think of this?
0: You did a very good summary there. I have not thought about stock options probably since we were in law school. Yeah. And option grants by their name, options, it's a choice whether you buy into that stock or not. And of course, buying a stock gives you an investment in a company. And that stock, as it goes up and down, your investment becomes more valuable. Uh, those stock options... So you may, for easy math here, you come into a company as a part of your signing bonus. Let's say you get $100,000 at signing in stock options. That doesn't mean you have $100,000 divided a third and a third and a third over three years that you may be able to buy into the company for $100,000 at whatever discount rate. And that can rise and fall as the uh, value of the company rises and falls on the stock market. So regardless of when those stocks vest, Me investing means you have an option to buy them. They aren't yours until, as this listener suggests, over a three-year time period. You get a third in your first year, a third in your second year, a third in your third year. Because we want you to stay there, so you don't get all of these options until you've been there for that period of time. And even then, because they're options, you have to buy them. If you choose not to exercise that option and not to buy them, meaning they do not vest, meaning you do not hold them, there's no value there. So if it's just a hypothetical hanging out there in the ether, it's not really a thing. Only after someone has bought those stocks, like any other investment, do they become property. And as I see them here, they would only be property in the, on a dissolution of marriage or dissolution of a relationship in doing a property analysis. Potentially, if you got dividends from those stocks and you were to declare them as income every year, if you cashed out those dividends instead of reinvesting them into the stocks, then they could impact your income, which could be live for child or spousal support. But in this instance, you're exactly right, Darren. I just see these as hypothetical property if they vest and if someone, excuse me, if the option becomes live, someone chooses to purchase into them, Then they become property that's on the table. If they don't, and they're just hanging out there in the ether, and someone does not act on that option, it may expire, it may go away. In my mind, a hypothetical option that has not been exercised is not property and shouldn't really impact anything. Same thing if employment is terminated prior to vesting, meaning that employment is terminated before you receive that option, I would imagine it just goes away. And that's the end of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at it, so it's after you and your spouse have separated and these stock options exist, either all three years are in front of you or two of the three or one of the three, anything that really happens post separation, unless you're using family property to buy the asset, it's separate property. And again, property regimes are different by province, but I'm generally, I'm making a, a sort of general statement here. So say after separation, you go buy a vehicle, right? Using your own money. Well, that's not family property. Same in this case. You use your own money to buy a stock option. It's not family property because it's it's a piece of property that's acquired after separation. Now, if you're using uh, money that was sitting in a joint account to buy that option, there may be some claim to that. But by its nature, like you say, Rob, it's just an option. So you're buying the stock. Again, my understanding is you're buying the stock for a reduced rate. So at, at purchase, it might be trading on a stock exchange at $50 a stock, but say the option is you can buy them for $25. So there's a $25 value built into that purchase at first instance, but who knows if they just hold the stock, yeah, and it drives some dividends, is it valuable at all? Well, it's not valuable until it's converted at a later date, presuming the stock either increases in value or just stays at $50. Um, So I think it's probably, depending on the overall worth and value of this, number one, you need to think about, is it acquired after separation? And if it's acquired after separation using totally separate property, meaning a separate bank account of that spouse, then it's off the table. If for whatever reason, it was acquired using joint property, maybe a claim to it, but you're still, I, I don't think there's much to this and I, I probably wouldn't get hung up on it. And really coming back to the whole goal of this podcast, it's called divorced and done. And if these aren't really valuable and you're do, you do an investigation of this and you go, either this isn't family property, the juice isn't worth the squeeze, what are we doing to move past um, this is step four: division of family property and debt. If it's not family property and debt, or marital property and debt, it doesn't land within step four. You don't even consider it, and um, you move on because you want to move through all the steps as efficiently as possible. But uh, we really appreciate the question. I think we will. Uh, I think we'll leave it at that this week. We've got an in-depth dive into two questions, so keep sending them to us. We would really appreciate them
0: thank you everyone for your questions speakpipe.com slash divorced and done for emails or lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com i'm rob woodward darren schmidt thank you for being with me this has been divorced and done we look forward to being with you again and joining you in the near future on vernon community radio the valley
1: fm